0: Agriculture is a common one when it comes to talking about you, the people of God. God calls his people a vineyard in Isaiah 5, and he comes to that vineyard expecting to find good grapes, but he doesn't find them. And if you know the prophets, you know that that is part of this narrative, this story of judgment. Judgment. And redemption well Jesus changes that what Jesus is true Israel he is the true garden what he calls himself in John 15:1, he says this I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser I am the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me You can do nothing. So our Father is cultivating a people, a garden in whom he delights. You and I, we are united to Christ. And because we're united to him, we produce fruit. And without being united to him, we produce nothing. We've already tasted some of that fruit in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're united to Christ and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And it is the power of that Holy Spirit that produces that fruit. And that Spirit works in us and through us to cultivate that fruit in this community. And this community is like a garden, and we're inviting other people outside of this community to come into this garden to taste and see that the Lord is good. We're a garden, a community garden. And it's no coincidence that love leads the list of this fruit. Love is absolutely necessary and central to this kingdom that we are a part of. Jesus says this himself. I mean, he makes it very clear. John 13, 34, or 35, he says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John extends this in his epistle, 1 John 3:16. he says this, By this we know love. He, that is Christ, laid down his life for us, And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Paul brings out this importance in Galatians 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now, all of that seems real clear, right? If you belong to Jesus, you love one another. You lay love, you lay down your life for one another. Love, you know, is faith working through love? That's the most important thing. But isn't it funny that there's still confusion? I know that I feel it. I'm quite certain that you feel it. If somebody asks you, how do you love? That is a really hard question to answer. We have all kinds of responses to that. What does it mean to lay... I had a little uh, illustration of this uh, naval officer who got the navy cross because you know in the heat of battle there's you know the the grenade and he pushes the other marine out of the way he jumps on it and he shields everybody from it with his body it's not likely that you're gonna jump on a grenade anytime soon so what does that mean to lay down your life well I think scripture answers the question By giving us the content of this love. I want to give you ten ways to love, or better as one writer puts it, ten perspectives on love. You want to know what love is? There are ten ways that you can know what love is. Paul's already given us a clue. We've already gotten this because we spent time in Galatians In Galatians 13 and 14, verse chapter 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but what? But through love, serve one another. How? Verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know where I'm going yet? Hang on. Two more. Romans 13, Paul's a little bit clearer. 13, 8, 8 and 9, he says, "O no one anything except love each other. Why? For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covenant, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Or he does it in Ephesians 6 too. I mean, and you couldn't get any clearer than this. He says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul did two things in Romans and Ephesians. He just applied what's called the moral law, the Ten Commandments, to you, to us. he He couldn't have done it any directly. I mean, that's the way Moses would have done it. He applied that moral law to you. And he did something else. He's shown the connection between law and love. If you love, you fulfill the law. And as you live out the moral law, the Ten Commandments, guess what? You are loving. That's the way that you love. As one writer said it, We do not then believe that God's commandments are replaced by love. Rather, love fulfills the commandments. You've got 10 ways to love, clear, content, so that you can know Am I loving? And I want you to think about this in terms of—and you know, this is horrible because I'm terrible at this. Right? Why don't you think about this in, in terms of like multiplication tables? Right? If you don't—if you—if you don't know multiplication tables, then well, calculus is going to be really hard. Right? And maybe for some of you that do know your multiplication tables, calculus is off the table. But you get the point. This is the basics, right? Ten ways. Now, I say it's the basics. It's going to be, it gets kind of sophisticated and complex. It can still get, but you've got these basic ways of what it means to love. So, well, I'm, I'm going to get all of these so that you can go watch football. <laughs> we'll be done by then. They, they don't play till three something. Somebody told me. I don't care. The way we love, right? First, got to start with God. First, we're going to do the traditional thing. The first four commandments, right, are are, are vertical. The last six, horizontal. But that's not the way that it's going to play out entirely because you're going to see a mixture of these things. But we'll start with God because we have to start with God because we don't have love without God. He is love. So first, the first way you love. No other gods. Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You have the God of the Bible as your God, the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God. You love him with your whole being. That's what Jesus said, Matthew 22. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. He's endorsing this structure of this one These four being about loving God. We do this in a number of ways. And and one of the the sources that I'm relying on here, there's been a lot of work in church history on the Ten Commandments. It is sort of stock. It is Christian ethics. And there's been a lot of development. I kind of looked to... The, larger, the Westminster Larger Catechism, because the answers to those questions were like this long, but they do something really interesting. Right? They sort of give some ideas, some rules. Here's how, here's how Scripture actually does the Ten Commandments, how it, how it negotiates the Ten Commandments. And just here's one of them. Right? Is that whatever is denied in the, the command contains also in it its affirmations. And whatever the affirmation is, it contains also its denials. So what I want to do, because you see a lot of these, you know, the Ten Commandments, well, don't do that, and don't do that, and don't do that. But we can also get inside of that and go, okay, so then what do we do? And I want to stress that as we talk about this. What do we do to love God like this, to have no other gods before him? What positively do we do? Well, we delight in him above all other things. Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. We trust in his strength. Isaiah 27, 4. He says, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Another way that we obey this command, loving God, is we are zealous for him. Romans 12. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. That's the way we love him. We love him by yielding to him. James says, chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourself to the Lord. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We long to please him. John says this in 1 John 3. And whatever we ask, we receive of him. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing to him. We long to please him. Pleasing him is a delight. In all of this, we love God as we speak and act in ways that say, you are everything. You matter most. Not my will. I give it up. Your will, Lord God. And when you and I do that, we're loving each other. You know how I'm loving you when I do that? You know, I I, I need you to do that and love me that way because you know what you show me? The greatest, highest object of our affections. That's where you point me. That's where I point you. So we love God, but in that loving God like this, we are loving each other. Number two, no carved images, right? Exodus 20, verses 4 to 5, I think. You shall not make for yourself to carve image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath. You shall not bow to them or serve them. Well, now God does have images, right? You and me. We are image bearers, representatives of God, and we have the image of God, Jesus. But this this one, number two, is principally about worship. How do we do this now? Loving God through the second commandment is certainly individual, but is, is absolutely corporate. How do we love him like this? Are you ready for this? We love him like this by devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer and the prayers. That's Acts chapter two. How do we do this? We as this people who are filled by the spirit, we address each other. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeking and making melody to the Lord with our heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that we were just, we were just loving God the way that He has commanded in the second, second, uh, second command? Peter, I mean, Paul says this to Timothy. Preach the word, be ready, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort and with complete patience and teaching, right? We're preaching. This preaching happens because it is the way that we love God, honoring, worshiping. And you're coming here. The way that you're loving God is by listening to the designated way that he is communicating with his people. I mean, because preaching, sort of, you have to have a body, Matthew 28, 19, 1 Corinthians eleven. We just did this. Well, we did one of them, the Lord's Supper. I mean, you know you are positively obeying the second command by keeping the supper. Baptism. So together we love God this way, but as I show up and as you show up to do this, you are loving me and I am loving you. We consider how to stir one another up to love and good words, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, but we gather here encouraging one another, fanning this flame that we come to love God and in loving God this way, we are loving each other. Number three, not taking God's name in vain. Not taking. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of your Lord, the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That name of God, what is that? A lot of you know this. That name is Him, it's God. It refers to all that he is, his character, his attributes, him. And taking that name, you know, a better way of thinking about the, you know, because we think of the taking, is this idea of bearing. We, we bear that name. We carry that name. As one writer says, we belong to him. His identity is on us. That we have, that his name has been draped over us. That's kind of something that's going on in baptism, right? What's being laid on you are the responsibilities and the gifts of a disciple. And vain means carrying that name in it as though it were empty and meaningless. We all do that. Right? All of us do that at some point or another. We carry the name that we bear flippantly. But How do we love God here? I mean, actively love God. Well, Jesus teaches us to do it when he prays. Our fa- he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's asking the Father that he would make his name holy. Right? In other words, that we've, the name would be treated, carried, born with all of the gravity That it is. And he prays that out there. He's praying that that would happen out there in the world. And he's praying that that would happen in here. In the church. So we pray this. We pray this for the world. We pray this for one another. And also we honor that name. We hold it in proper regard. 1 Peter 3 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. And then this is an interesting one. Paul says this in Philippians 1, 27. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you, you, all of you, are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Carrying or bearing God's name in a way that glorifies him. That's what we do together. And in doing that together, it binds us together. Do you see how that's working? How this up there and down here goes together. Here's number four. Remembering the Sabbath. Exodus 20. Verses 8 to 10, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, uh, excuse me, on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh Therefore, God blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Right? There is physical rest going on here. But the primary note, again, seems to be on worship. Certainly, we love God by marking time in accordance with worship. That is what we do. That is what, that's why we set a day, set a day aside This day, we can make an argument that the shift from the the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday with the resurrection of Christ, right, from Revelation, You look at that. But this day marks our time. We anticipate it. The moment you leave here, we anticipate returning again to his throne together as his people. We're strengthened by this day. Our days, our weeks, our months are organized around the work that God has done and remembering that work. That's one of the reasons. And if you haven't caught it yet, it's one of the, it's one of the fascinating things about the church calendar. Right? We're, we're, we're marking time in anticipation of what's next. Does anybody know what's next? advent we're marking time that begins to shape our year certainly that's worship that is how we love god but the author of hebrews extends this he connects this rest of god to the rest that he promises in christ we love one another and hear this this is hebrews three and four you we love one another by taking care lest there be in any of us evil, unbelieving heart leading us to fall away from the living God. This is all in the context of the author of Hebrews' discussion of God's rest that he's promised. He's saying, they didn't make it into that rest, but that rest hasn't come yet or hasn't complete. It was complete in Christ. We exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We strive together to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience and we hold fast to our confession to our high priest Jesus the son of God together and together we with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive grace and mercy to help in our time of need we're obeying that fourth commandment by doing that with each other. Those are, that's the first table, right? That's the the vertical, loving God. Again, you've seen, though, that loving God includes me loving you. But now we go to the second table, loving your neighbor. Here's one that all the parents will like. Five, honor your father and mother. Do you get that, kids? Honor your father and mother. Certainly that is about parents. But those terms, father and mother, they get used more broadly than that in the scriptures. They get used to refer to terms or reference things like the superiority of age, the superiority of giftedness, the superiority of authority, whether that's in the family or the church or civil government. So the category is applicable in a broad way. You've got these implicit relations in there that you have to have, and this is sort of the way that it works. There is someone over you. There's probably somebody under you. And that also implies that there's somebody beside you. But we honor God in this. We we obey God, and we love Him, and we love one another in all of these ways in the civil government. First Timothy 2. First of all, then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. You know that a couple of weeks ago, we, well, we, 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 I think we obey this more than just a couple of weeks ago, but a couple of weeks ago, we did this, did this in an explicit way when we prayed for a judge. You get that. That's, that is who this is talking about, too. In the church, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word, consider the outcome of their life, way of life and imitate their faith. Or Paul says this to Timothy Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and in purity. So there's this back and forth. All right, so what that means, what that obligates, is those the elders, right, they love by setting this example. We love them by considering that example, by acknowledging it, by seeing it, being moved by it. In the family, this is an interesting one, an application of this. 1 Timothy 5, 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Providing for relatives, especially those of your household, that's sort of like a top-down kind of thing. Right? Well, you think about it here. It's, you know, you had somebody up here, and here's their household, and they're responsible for all these. Well, parents, that's you're responsible for your household, but some of you have business people in your employ, right? And you, you act like fathers. You act like mothers by providing for them as you ought. We're going to come back to that in just a, just a bit. And then mutually this happens. Right? Remember the implied relations. Philippians 2.3 Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Those are the positive ways that we love each other in accordance with this command. This is just a sketch. Here's number six. (laughs) You shall not murder. You say, well, that's easy. Is that not easy for (laughs) y'all? I mean, really, like y'all were just looking at me like... Mm-hmm. Okay, we you think it's easy? Here we go. Listen to Jesus. Matthew 5, 21-26. You have heard it was said um, to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to hellfire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. One writer says this Here, Jesus teaches that the sixth commandment forbids anger and verbal abuse as well as acts of killing. And then this Jesus places a high priority on resolution of anger that is on reconciliation even above worship john puts it in really strong terms everyone who hates his brother is a murderer is it still easy physical murder Starts in the heart and by moving it in this direction, I think that it opens up the way for us to see how other virtues, other Christian virtues, actually are active ways of obeying this command, don't murder. Because we are creating an environment, we are cultivating an environment where anger can be dealt with, where reconciliation can, be, can happen. What are those virtues? Brotherly affection, that's familial love. We're a family. Right? That's Romans 12, that's where Paul talks about this. Brotherly affection, an intimate fellowship with one another. Goodness is another one. It's a really general term, but it has this idea. The interest in the welfare of another person. That sounds pretty good. That you're interested in the person's welfare that's sitting next to you and behind you and in front of you. Kindness, again, very similar to goodness. Um, Both goodness and kindness are linked to generosity. And they also seem to give rise in Colossians 3 to bearing with sin and forgiving others. Tenderheartedness, tender feelings for someone that is being open and receptive. It's also linked to forgiving others. Compassion. Right? A high degree of affection and concern for another. The display of concern for another's misfortune or misery. It's a deep sensitivity to the needs and the sorrows of others. Concern affects us in our inmost being. Sympathetic. That is to be affected with the same feelings as another. Merciful. Again, concerned about another person in their need. Do you see what those kinds of virtues, the pursuit, the cultivation of those kinds of virtues, how they make us the kind of community that deals with anger, that deals with the heart, that stands at the root of murder? Number seven, shall not commit adultery. Certainly this is about the actual breaking of vows. Everyone who looks, this is Jesus again, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. That is an active, vigorous protection. That we're putting up for ourselves. We're actively pursuing and seeking purity. 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body. And this is, a, this is like an equal opportunity. This goes for women as well as men. Actively resisting temptation. Right? Proverbs 5:8, talking about you know the harlot. Keep your way far from her. Do not even go near to the door of her house. All of those, we, you know, we did some of this. Like we're we're doing the pornography. We did the pornography seminar. I mean, that was that was a way of walking out positively this command, loving our kids by seeking to help them see and understand these things. Adultery is not just physical, it's spiritual. These things apply to us as a community. 1 Corinthians 6, some of you will be familiar with this. Verse 15, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh but he who is joined in the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Note what it says there. Members. It's not a change in in verbiage. Members of Christ means you, the people of God. If you're one of the people of God, it makes no sense for you to be united to the prostitute. Get it? The world. And we love each other when we help each other guard against uniting with the world in a way that does not make any sense as one who belongs to Christ. Number eight, no stealing. Verse 15 of chapter 20 in Exodus, you shall not steal. I'll just say a couple of things about this. Um, uh, You'll love this one. Romans 13, 7. You know how you obey this one? You know, how you. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. But it's not just monetary. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. We actively. Obey this command, not stealing, by giving money to who it belongs to, but also esteeming others as we ought. Maybe one way of thinking about this too is, right, we go back to uh, we are image bearers. I owe you respect on that basis alone. You are an image-bearer of God. That means inherent dignity. And this links up, I actually, I think, with the the stewardship series, right? Another way that we actively do this, and we're going to hear more about this, is Proverbs 27. Know well the conditions of your flocks. Give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever. That's an active way. Of obeying this command. And then. Nine. No false witness. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. How do we actively love each other. This way. First Corinthians 13 6. Love doesn't rejoice. At wrongdoing but rejoices. In the truth. I do you good. You do me good by rejoicing in the truth. That means pointing out error. I don't do you good. You don't do me good when I don't point out error. Or, how about this one? This is more familiar. This this is, you know, we're rejoicing and we're speaking, right? This goes with this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. But here's why. Listen to this. For we are members of one another. We are a people. That is the basis, right? That is the ground motive for me speaking truth to you and you speaking truth. Truth to me. How about this? Another way that we do this, where we we obey positively this command to not bear false witness, is we seek public justice. Listen to Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Actively, we love that way. And then, again, 2 Corinthians 2, 4, Paul says, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. He's talking about, again, pointing out error. Not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you that's the way that we love each other. And lastly, 10 is coveting, right? You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. How do we positively do this? Well, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, let's just say this first. It says, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant, or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful. Envy, resentment, boast, arrogance, insistence, these are poles that are opposite of what is the positive uh, uh, command here, contentment, contentment. I don't look at it as either you are lesser than or more than me which makes you someone either to pull down or hold down. I don't do that. That's not the way of love. What do I do? What do we do for each other? Well, one of the things that we do is we remind each other of the reality of our estate as human beings. You know what that is? Paul says in 1 Timothy 6:6: but godliness with contentment is great gain. Why, Paul? You ready for this? Here is the truth, right? You didn't bring anything into this world and you ain't taking nothing with you. That is the truth. But you and I act like we stepped into it and we act like we're taking it with us. I mean, this is really interesting. And I don't know where to put this exactly. Right? We act like we deserve something. I mean, ask, how, often, how, are, how often do you find yourself living your life like you deserve something? I mean, I, I, and I get the money. I mean, I, you know, you're working and yeah, you got to pay me. We just talked about that. But I mean, on the whole, that you and I, we act like God owes us. He doesn't. You don't deserve anything. I mean, we don't. All of it is gift, grace. Here's the other way we love each other, pointing each other to true hope. Hebrews says, Keep your life free from money and be content with what you have. Why? For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That is your hope. You can't do good to somebody better than that, to remind them of where their real hope is. I mean, that works when it's bad. That works when it's dark. It's true when it's dark. Here's the third way. Urging one another to the one consistent in life. This is hard. Because I think some of y'all, I know some of you are going through some hard stuff. I mean, just because you've, you've talked about it. Paul said, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation, I am to be content. Listen to what he says I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. This you don't learn this on the edges out here before you go through it. Paul learned this in it, and it's a hard, hard lesson for all of us to learn. to not, to not find our stability on whether I've got or I don't have. And I mean like really, like, really? Like sickness. Death, to not hang my stability and my balance on having a handle on those things. But what does Paul say? I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things. That is, I can have plenty, which is interesting, right? you got to have strength from him to have plenty in the same way that you've got to have strength from him him to have nothing. But either way, that strength from him is the only consistent that you have in your life. That and that he will not forsake you. Which means that his strength will always be there. And I think that other way we do this Romans 12 15 The way we practice this having much, having nothing Paul says weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Here, I love you by being content with my lot while you have yours. Rejoicing, yay. Right? But also, I'm helping another, you're helping another to grasp at contentment when they suffer. Right? Well, people of God, these laws originally were given in the context of re- red- redemption. I left this out, Exodus 20 verses 1 to 2, and it said, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's the context that these laws were given. in. It's the context of redemption. And that redemption was grounded in something that came long before it, Kyle talked about this already, it was a promise. That redemption had nothing to do with them. It had nothing to do with how good they were. It had everything to do with God's faithfulness to his promise to Abraham to redeem them, to bring them out. That's the context that these laws were given in. So it was never about salvation by doing good enough. But we are the recipients of the fullness of that redemption. The fulfillment of those promises. It is from that place in the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ, as those who are forgiven. It is out of that renewal that we seek to obey these, these laws, this moral law. That we've been given. Colossians 1.13 says. God he has delivered us. That is the father has delivered us. From the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom. Of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Those are the people. You. United to Christ. Empowered by the spirit. That seek to love God and love each other the way that God has laid out for us in His Word. It's not all that God has said about how we deal with each other, but it's a place we better start. Let's pray. Father, again, thank You for Your goodness, Your mercy to us. We thank You for giving us Clarity and guidance on what it means to love you. What it means to love each other. Would you please take these, these feeble words do something with it in us as a people. Cultivate in us the kind of fruit of love that pleases you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.